Hi, you're listening to Once Upon a Podcast. My name is Chandler. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about um, a really fun book that I think most people have read or seen in some form that's just a very strange story, but it's a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Roald Dahl's story, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I always thought it was Ronald Dahl for years, Chandler. I thought it was Ronald Dahl. Oh, that's Dahl. funny. I never, it's like one letter off. So that yep. makes sense. For, so I'm, I'm notorious that I read to myself all the time. And so then whenever I had to go try and pronounce things or I would tell my parents about stuff, I couldn't actually say the words. And I, I was notorious for adding and subtracting letters. So anyway. That's so funny. I think that's just kids who grow up reading a ton. You learn these words that you see in books and sometimes you just don't really learn how to pronounce them until you say it out loud and someone corrects you. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I we, we'll have to I'll have to come up with a little list of all of the words that I have mispronounced over the years that I still get made fun of for. So. <laughs> it's highly entertaining. But. That, yeah, that's pretty great. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Roald Dahl, not Ronald Dahl. Right. Writers really are quite a quirky bunch, and Roald Dahl is no exception. Born in Wales on the 13th of September in 1916, Dahl was named after Roald Amundsen, whose claim to fame was being the first to reach the South Pole. Dahl's parents were Norwegian, but lived in Wales, so Dahl and his siblings could attend British schools. After finishing school, Dahl traveled widely and held various jobs in fields such as the oil industry. When World War II broke out in 1939, Dahl joined the King's African Rifles, but just a few months later, he joined the Royal Air Force. What followed would be some of the most intense years of his life. Despite receiving less than eight years of, or eight hours, wow, less than eight hours of flight training, Dahl began flying solo. He also survived a crash landing in a Libyan desert, which fractured his skull, broke his nose, and left him temporarily blinded. After recovering from his injuries, Dahl went back to flying combat missions and is a confirmed flying ace due to his participation in the Battle of Athens. Medical issues sent him back to England, and a series of events led up to his ending up in the United States collecting intelligence for MI6. After the war, Dahl married Patricia Neal, an American act actress best known for her roles in The Day the Earth Stood Still, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and HUD. They had five children together. Dahl started writing when he first came to America during World War II in 1942. He was being interviewed by C.S. Forrester for an article in the Saturday Evening Post, and Forrester asked him to write down some anecdotes about his time in the RAF, the Royal Air Force. Forrester liked what Dahl wrote so much that he published it without changing a thing. After this, Dahl wrote steadily until his death. And these writings range everywhere from children's literature to screenplays. When I googled how many books he'd written, the answer was about 32. <laughs> That's great. After a full and exciting life, Roald Dahl passed away in November of 1990 from a rare cancer of the blood. He was 74. There is so much more we couldn't touch on here about all the things Dahl wrote and did, but it's worth going and learning more about. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the specific book that we want to talk about today, was published in 1964 and quickly captured the imagination of readers. It has had its fair share of controversy over the years. According to a 2017 article in The Guardian, the Oompa Loompas in the first edition were originally depicted as black pygmies from Africa. The NAACP was angry about this and said that having them work in the factory had overtones of slavery. That's a quote from them. The article goes on to say that, quote, Dahl insisted there was no racist intent behind the Oompa Loompas, but also said he found himself sympathizing with the NAACP. 
As a result, he rewrote them in time for the second U.S. edition as white hippieish dwarves hailing from an invented place, Lumpaland. End quote. This article also mentions the little-known fact that Dahl originally wrote Charlie as a little black boy, but that his publisher suggested he change it. Illustrations can truly make or break a story, and there are two illustrators we feel have really nailed it on this one. Joseph Schindelman, who illustrated the first and revised U.S. editions, and Quentin Blake, who did the 1995 edition. We'll talk more about this aspect of the book later in the podcast. According to our good friend Wikipedia, there were also a few chapters taken out before publication. They included a number of other dreadful children and their fates within the chocolate factory. I personally am glad they were removed. There are summaries of these chapters, and reading them shows you the slightly darker side of Dahl. I find this book to be the most heartwarming of his tales, and I think if he left these chapters in, it would not only have ruined that, it might also have kept this book from enjoying its enduring popularity. However, I think Chandler might disagree with me on this point, so... I, I'll have to read more of those because I haven't read any of the deleted stuff, although I'm seeing some interesting articles about it. Let's talk about some characters from this book. Yeah, so of course the title character uh, is Charlie Bucket, and he lives with his four grandparents and parents in this really tiny, terrible house um, kind of on the outskirts of a big city. And they're just incredibly poor. And the grandparents are, it's really funny the way they're described as just being so old and tired that they all four of them stay in this one bed all day. Um, and the mom takes care of them and the dad has to work. So at a toothpaste his, factory, at a no toothpaste less. factory where he screws toothpaste caps onto toothpaste, which it turns out doesn't pay well. So who knew? Um, right. Yeah. So they're incredibly poor, but very loving and just take great care of each other. And the grandparents especially dote on Charlie and love to tell him stories. I know. Well, that's something I actually appreciate. I love about this book is that it's a it's a whole family because in most most children's literature, a lot of times the parents are either gone or there's only one of them. So that's a good point. Yeah, I did really. And I just loved how, yeah, both parents were involved, but then they were the ones who were like, oh, no, Grandpa Joe has been the one who's the most who's been the most invested in this. He should take Charlie. It's just such a lovely uh, moment in the book. But uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But I just I do love the family dynamics that you get from this book. They are very poor and they are very hungry, but there is a lot of a lot of love. And it's but it's all very quirky. I mean, who who would oh, think absolutely. to put to be ha- to have the dad, um, Mr. Bucket, screwing on caps in a toothpaste factory or all four grandparents are in their 90s and they're, they're like, well, we only have one bed. So we're all going to so we're all for it. Yeah, yeah, no, it is very quirky that even though you see this extreme poverty, it's so um, it's so silly and unrealistic that as much as you feel for the family, I think the silliness kind of brings out the love and the sacrifice even more. Yeah, it balances it really well. Yeah, very, very well. So we have the grandparents and then uh, we have the well, I guess we should should we talk about the other titular character as well? Yeah, well, sort of titular. Um Depending on which movie you're watching, but exactly. not if you're reading the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So Mr. Willy Wonka is the, the one of the – he's such an odd character. I mean, everybody's kind of odd in this book, but he is particularly so. And I, yeah, yeah, that's true. He's the eccentric owner of this 
chocolate factory that makes these incredible magical candies and nobody's totally sure what his deal is or who works for him or any of that but um even though he's kind of isolated himself and he's kind of paranoid about people stealing his secret recipes in the end we find out that he's very generous as well yeah and he really he he really cares about um not only his employees who we'll talk about who we've already mentioned but we'll talk a little bit more about soon um but in trying to pass on his legacy and and kind of being a benefactor to others so it's because of him he's trying to find this benefactor that he sends out these golden tickets um and they're hidden in his candy bars and everyone around the world has a chance to find one of these which i did find i'm not sure if this is something that's an an anomaly in the book or Iqdal just didn't think this through um, or if it's just how he meant it to be. But if, if you read the original letter where the, um, like the newspaper advertisement that Mr. Wonka puts out about to announce his golden tickets and that everybody can go find them, it says that five children, it's very specific, five children will be admitted. But Literally everyone in the world is out there looking for them, including all these adults. I noticed that too, which is funny because people are going crazy. And even when Charlie finds his ticket, all these adults try to buy it from him Um, the whole time. And I I kept thinking about this like post that I'd seen that someone had written explaining how Willy Wonka would fit really perfectly into the Harry Potter universe as like a wizard. So I was just the whole time thinking it's magic. That's how, Um, (laughs) which kind of works, even if you don't believe they take place in the same universe, but there you go. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I could see that. And that, yeah, speaking of universes, that kind of, that, also leads into a little bit of where is it based? I mean, Dahl was British, so I actually had always just assumed that Charlie was American. I don't know why, probably because that's the movie version that I saw. Yeah, that's funny. I I like what they did with the um, the casting in the 2000, I think it was a 2005 movie, yeah. um, where they're all British except for Mike TV is American and Augustus is German. And then of course, Willy Wonka is, I mean, he has an American accent, but I don't know that he, I, I don't know if we're actually sure where he's from, but I, I thought that worked well. And that was kind of how I was reading it. Interesting. Yeah. 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 That, Cause that's how, when I was reading it again, or have read it more recently or thought about it, I definitely was like, Oh yeah, Charlie's in Britain, but I really yeah, appreciate, oh, yeah. I've read other doll stories and he never says a specific place, like where they're set. You just kind of, he sets the tone um, for the location, but he never gives you like a a specific name because I think he wants to create his own tone for the place and not say, oh, not have some reader come along and say, oh, yes, well, I have this preconceived notion of Brighton or of, I, I don't know, Connecticut or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that it just takes place. We know Charlie lives in a big city right by the factory. Like, that's all we know. That's all we know. And we, yep. which is perfect, because then we get to use our imagination, which is a big part of this book, and construct the rest of the scene around that, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the illustrations help with that, too. But we'll, we'll get there soon. So other characters that come into play throughout the throughout the book we've mentioned them a little bit before but there are all these really nasty children and doll is very on the nose he's not a he's not a subtle writer and one thing i noticed about these kids is that um all their their vices and their nastiness 
I didn't necessarily realize this reading as a kid, but looking back now, their parents are so to blame. Like he's not really throwing these concerns to the bus, even as they're getting sort of this, this justice and they're all not really punished, but they all experience um, these consequences from their own actions, which, you know, is a good thing. And, and we, it seems like maybe they'll learn from their mistakes. It's very much the parents who are responsible for spoiling their children or letting them watch too much TV or whatever the vice may be. Did you notice that coming through in the songs? I think that's a really great observation, but where, what, when did that kind of strike you? Yeah. Um, okay. Which song is it? That's such a fun part of the book too, is um, all the songs that the Oompa Loompas sing and they're really funny rhymes and just how well they're written. I think it's Veruca Salt's song. I'm flipping through. I'm in the right chapter right now. Yeah. Um, and Veruca Salt's song talking about a girl can't spoil herself, you know, who spoiled her then and who indeed who pandered to her every need, who turned her into such a brat, who are the culprits, who did that? And then by the end it says it was her mom and dad who um, Veruca is chasing after a squirrel and gets pushed into a garbage chute and they the squirrels end up pushing the parents in as well. I cannot believe they didn't have that. So, okay, we'll talk about the, we don't have to, but we can talk about the different movie versions later because I am a fan of them. I've heard, I haven't seen the second one, but I've heard that this oh, scene it's is so in good. the the newer one is that true it is yes oh. yeah they don't have so i'm more familiar with the more recent one than the older one i think i saw the older one twice but a long time ago and they have like a golden goose scene or something right they do. Or egg i love scene. it yeah it's awesome okay well yeah they have the squirrel one and the newer one you should watch it <laughs> i should i mean i'm very anti johnny depp i cannot stand really? him i'm oh, sorry i think he's great That's oh okay. <laughs> he just wigs me out but uh well yeah but i mean that's I can I can get over it. I know, I know, that's the point. I can get over it for the to to watch the movie, which I should. I okay. should but I'm yeah, very you should. I, I, I prefer the old one. But we're we're getting we're jumping ahead <laughs> too far. A little bit. So yes, I definitely agree with you. It is there it's the parents. So like yeah, the kids are not being trained well. Yeah, sad. and I kinda it, I noticed like they each really have a specific vice, jumping ahead to some themes a little bit. Um, like Augustus with his gluttony, right? He just can't stop eating. And when his mom is being interviewed, when he first finds the golden ticket, she just keeps saying like, oh, well, he must need all this food because he keeps eating it. And I'm sure he's just getting vitamins anyway. <laughs> uh, just fully enabling him. Oh, completely. Yeah. And my parents say this, have said this to us all the time, like letting your kids do whatever you, they want to do. It's not, you're not really loving them. Being, being loving, there's a thing called tough love. And you, of course you want to, not withhold good things from your kids all the time. I get that. But overindulgence is terrible. And it right. Which no we favors. see. Oh, absolutely. Which we see in all the other characters. I mean, we talked about Veruca with her greed, but Violet um, is extremely prideful in her, you know, gum chewing. She wants to have all these records and her parents are very encouraging that, yeah, you'll be the first to have this full meal in a gum stick, which of course, <laughs> Willy Wonka's like, don't do that. But uh, it does not end well. And she doesn't. Um, or then Mike TV, who just, you know, watches TV all day. Um, very lazy in that regard, just wants to sit around and not do anything. And of course, his parents just, they let him. Yeah. And, and Charlie is the one who has the really loving parents who are taking great care of him, even despite how poor they are. They teach him to really be loving and sacrificial. Exactly. He, he, they don't make excuses for him because he is poor. He's still held to standards of respect and 
uh, caring for his grandparents and sharing and generosity and those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. You never, you never get a, oh, woe is me from him. No, no, there's never any, I mean, even when he, all he wants is a bar of chocolate and he's seeing all of his classmates eating chocolate every day. Um, he, he wants it, but he's not, there's not this like, pity me kind of sense like man I wish I had money so I could buy chocolate that's what he wants but it's 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 something that he gets to look forward to and not something that he's necessarily like you know pitying himself over right right oh and that's kind of one of the the interesting things about this book is a lot of times you get the the virtue of a character kind of shoved in your face in in certain stories but I I feel like in this story you Charlie is still the protagonist, but he almost takes a back seat to the vices that are really just so obvious in all the other kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're kind of rooting for Charlie the whole time, but you're also rooting against everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Which is kind of a big part of it, yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's highly entertaining. So we uh, we have the parents, and then kind of the last, so the, the nasty kids in there and their parents, and kind of the last main grouping of characters that we see are these Oompa Loompas, which apparently uh, have this backstory that I did not realize until I was doing some research for this podcast. Yeah, I didn't know the full backstory. I definitely, when I was reading it, I, I knew that there had been critiques about the Oompa Loompas um, being enslaved, maybe some racist overtones. Um, I was a little surprised to find out that they are actually described as white because I just picture them as orange, but no. Yes, they um, <laughs> I think very no. movie-centric um, Yes, the, or with like the green hair. It's really yep. hard to get that out of your head. Um, but anyway, but I, I see now knowing the whole history, I, I understand. I think it's probably for the best that he changed it. But in the book, it's pretty clear that Wonka is rescuing them. And sure, by our standards, like yeah, they're kind of constantly working and they're doing these dangerous things like, you know, eating sticks of gum that chew them, turn them into um, blueberries. But it's far more silly than over than, than harsh, I would say. Um, and it's very clear that he's, res- he's, he's getting them out of an evil situation and giving them chocolate, which is all that they want. So it's kind of oversimplistic to say that it's racist or it's slavery, but it's also a little oversimplistic to say there's that there's not some validity to that critique, I would say. Right, which is why I'm, I think it's good that he changed it and kind of went with this. Because, I mean, they didn't have to go with him. And it's not, I, I, never got, I never get the feeling like he's holding them there. I mean, they could leave if they wanted to. But he was rescuing them from this, from, yeah, from a terrible situation. So, I mean, maybe, am I, am I reading it wrong by saying they, I don't feel like they were being ill-treated. I mean... I don't know. Yeah, we, I mean, the book really is not clear, you know, (laughs) we see them, I mean, it seems like they're working for him constantly, and they live there, and, but other than that, like, it's just, we don't really know enough either way to say, I mean, we know they're not being killed by these creatures that they have to build (laughs) tree houses to get away from, Um, but other than that, like, yeah, I can see the overtones of slavery originally but in the revised edition I don't think it's worth critiquing no and yeah so I think I am I am glad that it was brought up because that's not something that I would have crossed my mind I haven't read actually haven't read that original edition so but I think once he changed it it's not worth looking into anymore because sometimes I feel we try too hard to read too deeply into books and I get the feeling with Dahl he tries to be very um up front with everything it's very on the nose uh 
So also with children's literature, there there are deeper meanings for a lot of things, but sometimes you don't want to go too far into the weeds because there you might be digging through weeds that aren't actually there. Yeah, and I think the the fact that he was willing to change it was sort of him admitting, okay, while he's still saying, no, this is not racist, but I don't want this to be a distraction. Exactly. So I I will rewrite it so that that's not something people are trying to read into, which is which I think is a smart move. I agree. Let's talk about some of the themes that we've seen. So we we touched a little bit. I I really like what you said about the vices. I had I don't know if I had heard that before. I feel like I had. I don't think I made that up. I don't remember seeing like that explicitly spelled out. I'm not sure, but I I definitely was thinking, you know, what is there's there's kind of one characteristic in each of these children. They all just sort of have the one track personality and that leads to their downfall. Yeah. And it's very very clear, which is really good for this type of literature and reading this to kids it's it's so uh obvious to them and just it's so it makes for it's so over the top and um ridiculous that it's just so entertaining to read but you also kind of get those okay this is bad this is not good this behavior should not be uh imitated kind of a kind of a thing without uh i don't know in because it's so over the top for me it's so over the top that i I don't think it's shoving a moral message down your throat. It's just so fun to read. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it too, right? There's this clear idea of the good guys who you're rooting for and the sort of the bad guys. Not that the children are villains, but you know you're rooting against them. Um, but it's funny. Like the the one who eats way too much falls into a river of chocolate and gets sucked up a tube that he can't fit through because he's too fat. Like, and you get the moral and it's, you know, it's there. It's, it's hard to miss it's very over the top but it's funny oh <laughs> so it works hilarious <laughs> yeah it's hilarious oh my gosh it's so good but yeah that and I think that it's so it's it's ridiculous but also I feel there's such a so I have a doll and I have a weird relationship in the sense that I would not recommend all of his books to people. He's not one of those authors where I would just say, oh, yeah, any of his stuff is good. I, I personally don't think that. Um, but I feel that this one in particular, I love and I would totally recommend. It's a great read aloud and it's a wonderful way to kind of delight in this. Whim- There's so much whimsy in the book. It's it's not only silly and has these hilariously ridiculous parts but also it's very whimsical yeah definitely and I like that anytime um you know Willy Wonka has all these weird inventions like you know gum that never gets old ice cream that won't melt um wallpaper that you can rub and it smells like he goes on to describe you know strawberries and bananas and snozzberries and anytime he says something weird like that I like that Mike TV is always like there's no such thing as a strawberry or I'm sorry there is a strawberry there's no <laughs> such thing as a snozzberry and every time Willy Wonka's like you know you're you mumble I don't know what you're saying <laughs> which is really funny I yeah I always loved that part I thought it was so funny that he just moved on he he literally would just have selective hearing I, yeah you know he hears it all but Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anytime there was something that was like a little too silly, that, that, that was a, there was a comment from Mike TV, which is great. Um, but yeah, so many just very whimsical and imaginative and inventive and frankly, magical things going on in this factory. Exactly. And that's what has just delighted generations of, uh, of kids that have read this and then 
pass it on as as parents to their kids yeah absolutely so i am a big fan do you have i'm just a big fan of the illustrations which version of illustrations have you have you seen both of the ones that i meant that we mentioned earlier yeah so i grew up with the um quentin blake so with all all the rural doll books and i've read oh probably all the famous ones um not not quite all of them but most of them um and I always loved that style and I really think it adds a lot um right now I'm looking at the um oh I just had it the other one that we talked about uh who's the other illustrator yes with the hard that's the one yeah um (laughs) and I I don't like it as much (laughs) what what Um, do you not like about it well I think part of it is the familiarity but also I think it's uh, this isn't something I would think I would say, but it seems too creepy. <laughs> like there's this one I, part of it is just the the style. There's just a lot of dark lines and things that works in some places and other places. Like Willy Wonka just kind of looks like a leprechaun, which I don't love. <laughs> like the, I mean, I don't know. The Quentin Blake style is. I guess maybe some of it was just it's so much more colorful. I don't know, but gotcha. Yeah, okay, so what what are your thoughts? Um, I grew up I grew up with the Joseph Schindelman one, I'm pretty sure. Um and I definitely don't love all of the illustration, like each illustration uh in the book, but I actually really like most of them. I actually don't mind that Willy Wonka looks like that. I think he I like him kind of shorter and, and smaller like that. Um I, there's this really beautiful image of Charlie. It's kind of like a from the shoulders up, and he's smelling the the chocolate smells. I love that picture of him. I just think it's really neat. Um, I don't like all of the individual pictures, but I like most of them. So I, I, I actually like this. I don't know if I would agree with you on on the creepy, but I could see. I can see why you why you would think that. Okay. Yeah, I know that makes sense. I think some of it is, right, the very first chapter, they're introducing the parents and the grandparents, and they have drawings of all of them, which it's, it's just, it's hard to see their eyes. Like, that was the part that got me the most. Like, I like the way he did the house, but, um, and the bed with super long with the room for the four of them, but it kind of reminded me, there's a movie that I've never seen, but I've seen the poster for it. It's called Big Eyes, and it's just, like, this painting of a girl with, the norm like a doll kind of so I yeah. think that's they kind of just remind me of creepy baby dolls <laughs> I think that's what it is that's so sad okay yeah well no hey that's fine that's fine which I'm... is weird because normally I would be into that but I don't know <laughs> well see there we go I'm, I'm glad yeah. that we disagree on this this is this is good yeah so what do you like about the you grew up with the Quentin Blake ones what do you mm-hmm. what kind of strikes you about those that you really love yeah, um, I think part of it is just familiarity. And I think the consistency, the fact that it was like I knew it was a Roald Dahl book because it was like clearly Quentin Blake had illustrated it. Um, but some of it, I'm I'm looking at some of the pictures right now and it's very childlike. It's, you know, like a, it's black ink, but then it looks like marker for the, you know, the color on the clothes that's going outside of the lines a little bit. Um, and there's not, there's definitely some details in the costumes and things. But it's not over the top, um, and it's it makes the people particularly look like um, funny caricatures. I think. Yeah, it's this would fit really well with kind of the whimsy, the whimsical side of thinking about the book. I, I think the Joseph Schindelman ones are a little heavier and eh, a little darker, 
Um, but uh, yeah, this one definitely, it's brightly colored. And I always am amazed at these illustrators that where, I mean, when you kind of look at these pictures and deconstruct them, you're like, oh, that's just like a couple of little squiggles and and a little line here or there. And you think it is, it doesn't look complicated, but in the way that he is able to capture personalities and characters of these different people from the book is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's one thing that I like about Quentin Blake too, is that these characters in so many ways, because especially the kids are very one-sided, he captures them in a way that really portrays like the one character trait they have, right? Um, which makes them feel funnier. <laughs> I don't know, more like caricatures, but that works. Yeah, it really does, especially for the, the, the medium, the genre of children's of children's literature. And uh, so it's kind of that simplicity, that whimsy, but uh, also portraying the story in a picture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is, okay, so I, we talked about the movies a little bit, and I mentioned I'd seen the older one. I, I remember, like, there's this scene where Charlie drinks this this water that makes him fly and he's not supposed to and then oh, the ends up yelling at him yeah um so that's like a different ending and then in the 2005 version there's this weird backstory um where Willy Wonka has uh, his father is a dentist who like would never let him eat chocolate and all this stuff um and the doctor is played by the guy who plays Saruman in the Lord of the Rings which makes him especially creepy oh. um yeah so anyway I I knew I didn't think those two things were actually in the book because I read the book and then watched both movies and then I'm going back to the book for the first time in years but I was just surprised to see that it just ended abruptly <laughs> like that was it I was glad that it didn't have those extra things but I was a little surprised when it ended oh with the you were surprised at how the book ended yeah 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 oh uh, have you ever read I mean I actually never minded how it ended it does. End I didn't either. Abruptly. Yeah, that was. It was more surprising than anything else. But I know uh, the Great Glass Elevator. Is that what you were going to? I was about? just going to say, have you read the sequel? It's been a long time, but yes. Talk about a weird book. I, yeah, they go to outer space, right? <laughs> I called home last week. I call home often, but one time when I called home, I think it was like last week or two weeks ago, and I think it was one of. I think it was my sister Emily was talking about how much she she can't get through the book it's so weird to her she can't read it I actually really like that book I I usually don't like weird things like that but I greatly <laughs> enjoyed that book maybe I wouldn't as much now but it kind of explains somewhere like it just goes it just keeps going it keeps telling the oh, story. Yeah. they go to space yeah. and it's they, very funny it's right oh it's highly entertaining and they they save this spaceship with all these american citizens on it and then when they eventually come back to earth there's some hilariously funny things that happen in the um factory they go back into the factory and my favorite scene that i vaguely remember because it's been a while since i read this book but the grandparents eat these eat these vitamins and they grow younger except they eat too many of them and so they turn back into babies oh no <laughs> I don't remember I that part. A huge <laughs> kick out of that when I was when I was younger. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I know we've talked about like doing speech and debate before. I there were a couple guys I knew who did like a speech together where they acted out um, some scenes from the Great Glass Elevator, which I think they chose that one intentionally because it's less familiar to people. And I just remember it was hilarious. So I remember like a lot of the jokes from the book, but less of the 
specific plot, but I, I think it's definitely worth rereading. I would agree. I actually think that's one of the ones I picked up when I went to the Strand the other week. So maybe I mm. have that on my bookshelf. I should take a oh, look. That's a fun one. You should. Um, I think I said this earlier, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Chandler, because it seems like we both read a number of Dolls' works, but I... I would not recommend all of his books to people. I think that, I mean, I have read more of them as I've gotten older, and I think they're fine to read when you're a little bit older, but I, I'm not a fan of all of his stuff. I think it's dark. I mean, I enjoy Matilda, but I don't know if I would give that to one of my younger siblings. Really? Why not Matilda? I mean, uh, the the main headmistress is a murderer. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I maybe that maybe I'm not thinking about this correctly because there are other books that are are. I don't know. It's just there's something so yeah, kind of strange. And I I I like kind of quirky stuff like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but there's just some some of his other works kind of strike me funny, and I haven't been able to articulate it very well. Yeah, no, there's definitely something a little bit odd and a little bit dark even in this book but probably more so in um uh, you know every other book um but I I definitely like I'm I think I've read like I said just about all of the famous ones and um I don't know that was something that I kind of appreciated and I think I read more of the sort of dark stuff than you did as a kid like a series of unfortunate events I know we've talked about on the podcast um (laughs) Yeah, which I just always liked. I don't know. Um, and I, I, there's certainly something redeeming in it. Like in Matilda, she has these horrible, awful parents who are, are they her parents or her aunt and uncle? I think they're, they're her, her aunt parents, and uncle. which I oh, think they is are another parents. thing that oh, really bothered me. I'm like, but <laughs> yeah, but that's not supposed to happen. They're either no. just supposed to die or not be there in the first place. I mean, you don't usually have the parents like. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird as a kid to read about these horrible abusive parents, but it does end with her finding someone wonderful who cares about her and who understands how smart and how special she is. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's a little cliche to say it's always has a happy ending, it's always redeemed. Um, but I, I guess some of it is that it's just so funny that even when you have these terrible... Uh, really awful parents and this like horrible tyrannical headmistress there's something really funny about someone who's running a school who just can't stand children and yes she does all these terrible things to them but the whole time I think even as a kid I was thinking what you need a different job like why did you choose this job so I know right the comedy of it to me it's it's all these terrible things but because it's so funny it doesn't feel so terrible Right. And I mean, I have to say, I am a huge fan of James and the Giant Peach. Talk about, I mean, his parents get killed by a rhinoceros. And oh, I see, that's the one that I'm looking at the list of like the most known. And that's the one that I'm not 100% sure I ever read. Oh, my gosh. Which is weird, because I think I read all the others. Oh, you should. It's hilarious. My family, we all have read this multiple times. My dad, it's one of his favorite books. And he read it out loud to us when we were younger. So I, and it is definitely, so maybe I don't have a leg to stand on in this argument, but because I like this <laughs> book, but, and because then he, like, oh man, there's this great, because he's trying to escape his, his evil aunts, Aunt uh, Sponge and Aunt Spiker, and this giant peach that is in the garden <laughs> that he's inside rolls over them and they get squished. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. very in the book. 
Right. And it's it's a little dark, but it's funny. So I don't know. I yeah. think that's what I, I like don't know. It. I just I a word to parents, just know your kids and know yourselves and yeah. then take it from there. Yeah. No, that's good advice. Do you have a, a music album for us? Sure. Um, it was actually hard for me to pick something because there's just a lot going on with there's this hopelessness and despair, which like that's not too hard to find out. But then the sense of whimsy, too. It was difficult to find something. And also I had it in my head that I wanted a British band or, or artist so that made it <laughs> extra hard. But I found something. Um, so I recommend listening to in conjunction with reading this book, uh, the album Viva La Vida by Coldplay. And um, particularly, there's an expanded edition that has a couple of cool songs, Prospects March edition. Um, And I chose that one because it does have the themes of despair. Um, There's a song, Cemeteries in London, that's, you know, kind of what it sounds like. Um, Talks about ghosts and things. And I I just always picture this really foggy London street, similar to where Charlie grew up. Um, But then Hopefulness. There's another song, Strawberry Swing, that's very fun and whimsical. just talking about it's such a perfect day uh makes me think more of the you know happy moments when they're in the factory before all the kids start disappearing um and then this other song life in technicolor 2 there's so there's the original life in technicolor is just instrumental and that's a fun one there's a second version that also has lyrics um which go there's a wild wind blowing down the corner of my street every night there the headlights are glowing there's a cold war coming on the radio i heard baby it's a violent world Oh, love, don't let me go. Where you t- Will you take me where the street lights glow? I can hear it coming. I can hear the silent sound. Now my feet won't touch the ground. Um, and there's a lot going on in this song of kind of the, the anticipation of something bad is coming. But, you know, with love, there's this togetherness. There's still light. And then now my feet won't touch the ground. It's probably a great glass elevator reference, but um, uh-huh. I'm not totally sure about that one. <laughs> so this is just, this is actually just a really great album and there's just a lot in it. Um, so definitely recommend this one. And they're British, so that works. Oh, hey, look at you. <laughs> Bring it all together. Checked all the boxes. I, oh man. Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, so I've only heard Coldplay, one Coldplay song in my Which life. Which song? Viva La Vida, like the, the, title oh, okay. of the title of the album. I've heard Viva La Vida. So. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. Um, Brings back yeah, memories I mean, of my high school teenage years. Yes, absolutely. I definitely recommend everything. Through, I mean, Viva La Vida, I think, is probably their best, but they kind of just started to go downhill from there. I like Mila Zylado. Everything else, like, I've barely bothered to listen to. But um, everything after that, I mean, the, the, the old stuff is good. Gotcha. But, yeah, definitely check out Viva La Vida while you're reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And eating lava cakes, because that is my recipe that I picked for today. I was trying to figure out, because honestly, there are so many things that you could pick to go with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I didn't want to be like, oh, you should just eat a bar of chocolate. Cause no. That's kind of, I mean, good if you pick the right bar of chocolate, but, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so lava cakes, though, are one of my, our family's favorite things to eat, and I I thought of this, this was literally the first thing that popped into my head when I was thinking about what to pair with this book, because it's a surprise. It's something that seems so simple, and then you cut it open, and it just pulls out. The chocolate just kind of pulls out. Have you ever had one? I think I have. I know I've seen pictures of them, and they look delicious, but I'm pretty sure I have. They're amazing. So it's 
they they call them lava cakes because when you you only bake it for just a couple of minutes um so that it's still uh all liquid in the middle so you have this cake form around the outside and then when you cut into it you have all the kind of soupy chocolatey goodness in the middle and it is amazing you can eat it with whipped cream but i recommend eating it with vanilla ice cream because it really helps to balance it out because lava cakes are very very rich so ideally ice cream that doesn't melt no matter how hot it is outside exactly just as uh willy wonka's uh invented i was wondering did they tell what flavor that was i think it was chocolate was it chocolate yeah which is it is but it's not i love chocolate it's probably my favorite food but it's not the best kind of ice cream so i like your vanilla suggestion okay perfect yeah chocolate ice cream (laughs) with lava cakes would be too much chocolate yeah, it's a little much. Before we go, did you have a a favorite? Uh, you talked. We talked a little oh, bit about ice cream yeah, just not. now, but did you have a favorite, tr- like sweet or something that even if it was just briefly mentioned in the book that you would wish was a real thing? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, they all seem really fun. Definitely the ice cream I liked, um, but I kind of just want to try a chocolate bar that's been mixed by waterfall. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, for me. The candy that I would want to try is the square candies that look round. That was hilarious. I had totally forgotten about that scene, but that was really funny. <laughs> I love the pictures with with that. I just think it is the most entertaining thing. Both of the Quentin Blake illustrations and the Joseph Schindelman illustrations are so funny. Yeah, super funny. And I loved that... Um... He's in, like he doesn't understand why people are confused. Like I never said they were round. I said they looked round. The kids are like, right? He said they looked round. They looked like, round. Come on, parents. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, that was great. Every time it gets me. I just think it's the best. Yeah, very funny. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chandler. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you to our listeners. We'd like to thank the Yankee for our intro and outro music. Driving home. Mm-hmm.